the IOC's top man in Tokyo. I'm Around the Rings editor Ed Hula with this latest edition of ATR Radio. Today we're speaking with John Coates, chairman of the IOC Coordination Commission for the 2020 Olympics. Mr. Coates, an IOC vice president, is also president of the Australian Olympic Committee and was one of the leaders of the 2000 Olympics in Sydney. This week he's been in Tokyo for the debriefing on the Rio Olympic Games that's been followed by the third meeting of the Coordination Commission. We, have, we started with a debrief and um, I don't know what you've heard but we think it was very successful. We were very pleased with um, how seriously the Rio group took it um, and how serious they were in participating. Uh, very well received, um, particularly by Tokyo. They had most people here, but of great benefit for Pyeongchang and for Beijing. Um, then we had the um, meeting of the four-party political working group, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. And then we started the Coordination Commission yesterday, um, and that was a good day, and we have another day of that, and then we complete and um, pack up and we go and report on all of this to the IOC Executive Board next week. Yeah, plenty to tell them about. The, the big story hanging over Tokyo this week seems to be the, the efforts to hold the line on costs. You mentioned the working group that uh, met for the decisions on the venues. And while you decided to reduce the seating in the swimming venue, uh, so far there's been no decision on what to do about the uh, volleyball venue. And then you have the rowing venue remaining in, in, in Tokyo. To what degree have you made cuts as a result of these decisions? The, um, yes, there were three venues that the Tokyo municipal government and the new mayor, a governor, wanted to review. The, um, the review of the aquatic centre saw it reduced from 20,000 capacity to 15 and saw a saving in um, scoping um, seating of 169 million US. The um, rowing, they looked at an alternate venue uh, seriously, but um, concluded that the existing venue for rowing and sprint canoeing at Sea Forest was better, um, more proximate, better for the athletes and better financially by the time you would have to build um, temporary village for athletes out at Nagadmura, um, accommodation for, spect uh, for technical officials, you'd have to get spectators in there, what do you do with the media and everything. So it came down in favour of uh, the existing sea forest, what they call, um, but they did a lot of work on the further work on scoping and design with um, the federations and they've taken another 193 million US off the cost of that venue. Then there's no decision um, on where whether volleyball will be at a new venue called Ariaki, a new arena, or it will go to Yokohama. But if it stays at Ariaki, they've already... Um, rescoped that and redesigned that and found another 60 million savings. So the, um, the work 
um, at worst, this exercise on the venues has found another another 422 million saving on top of the 1.8 billion we previously made. So that's a very good outcome. The um, the governor um, asked to be given until Christmas to um, complete their review, the TMG's review, on whether it's whether Yokohama is the better or Ariake, and needed that extra time in the case of Yokohama um, to fully investigate what additional pieces of land would need to be acquired either by purchase or rental around the site because um, for back of house, for broadcasting, because it's uh, very compact. It's a wonderful venue, outstanding venue, but um, some limitations for something as big as an Olympic Games. <clears throat> and they've got to look at access. Um, for the athletes, it's 30, 40 minutes away. Um, that's less than... Um, the drive for the basketballers to Satami, which is one hour away. So um, that decision will be taken. Um, the, uh, so far as Ariaki is concerned, there's a very strong push from the Japanese Olympic Committee and the ball sports and even um, ice hockey um, for that venue. They, they're keen to see a legacy, an indoor centre legacy from these games. And um, those sports in particular, um, there's some more. So there's the legacy argument in favour of Ariaki, even if it costs a little more. Um, but at the same time, the, um, the Tokyo Municipal Government is also looking at, at our suggestion whether they may not be able to uh, get a private um, uh, partnership going here by... Uh, selling now the management rights in return for a capital sum. Many of the many of the venues here are uh, privately controlled, and um, I think there could be some opportunity there. So there could be. We're certainly going to have more savings, significant savings, I'd say, if we go to Yokohama. Um, more savings still potentially if they stay at Ariaki. The you mentioned the, the Tokyo governor uh, Koiki. You're going through this review of these venues in in part because of the initiative she started a few months ago when she became governor and wanted to cut costs further. What's she like to work with? Very, very good. Um, uh, I think um, you know we had a wonderful relationship with the previous governor, but um, uh, this governor wants the Tokyo um, Games to be a great, great success. And uh, she's absolutely committed, and one shouldn't um, misunderstand her motives. In, in respect of um, the budget generally, um, she's just um, very anxious, as is the IOC, that there's no waste. This is a city that can, um, we, that can pay for the games at whatever cost, um, but that's not uh, the right, doing the right thing by the taxpayers. That's not doing the right thing by the IOC. Um, certainly not the right thing when uh, you know it, it will lead to misconceptions about the cost of running the game. So the the other issue that we dealt with at the four-party working political working group was the Tokyo 
municipal government, uh, Tokyo 2020 organising committee, and to some extent the government, um, were happy in terms of budget to say, well, let's have a ceiling of $20 billion. Um, that was um, after we'd worked with them to find some $3 billion in savings. Um, we refused to um, accept that. Um, we've noted it. Um, we refuse to accept it for the reasons I've said. We, we think that there are other significant savings to be found and we don't want to give a misconcep misconception, Ed, as to what the cost of running a Games is. The other thing is we were very disappointed um, that they, um, uh, notwithstanding all of the work that our finance department has done with them, disappointed that they uh, still aren't breaking the budgets up into operational Games costs and then venue and then other... Um, the, uh, you know, we've got to get the message across there that um, in terms of operational costs, games costs, uh, it will be around $5 billion. Um, it will have a contribution from the IOC, which in the case of Rio was $1.5 billion, so that, that's expected to be a bit more. Um, it will have uh, national sponsorships, which um, uh, they're now up to 42 and they're approaching $3 billion uh, in national sponsorships. And then it will have, of course, the ticketing. So it, it will cut even. Um, but the ISC wants to make sure those messages are getting across. I also have asked them to um, split off, notionally, the Paralympic, the, the additional cost of the Paralympic Games, because whatever the cost of the Paralympic Games, the public are never concerned about that. Um, but if they're going to cost... Um, London was 10% of the operational budget. If they're going to cost... 500 million to 750,000, then that's also um, worth noting. Um, the IOC uh, contribution will cover both games, but the, therefore that the operating budget for the Olympic Games is four point is four billion or 4.25 billion, something like that. So I've asked you that as well, but um, uh, just having a little bit of problem um, getting this message across that we want to see uh, a reduction in all aspects of the budgets. Um, we don't want to just um, acknowledge um, a total amount, um, you know, by saying it won't exceed. And dipping into a little bit of history here, there's always been a, a worry about how much the games cost, but is this much different than it was during the Sydney Olympics in the uh, 1990s? Was there that level of concern about the, uh, the, the push on, on costs and the expense of the Olympics? Yeah, but the concern there was coming from Michael Knight and myself. The concern here isn't coming from, well, the Tokyo Municipal Government, yes, in terms of construction, but in terms of overall costs, security, transport, technology, procurement, those sorts of things, um, rental of uh, space for car park, you know, for bus parking and that sort of thing. Um, here, it's the IOC that's concerned. The um, uh, organising committee here, and to a lesser extent, Tokyo, uh, Tokyo Municipal Government are happy to, to proceed and um, uh, they just don't want to have anyone coming back to the table. They'd like to have a ceiling. In Sydney, we were, we were, we knew the limitations of what we had to spend. Um, this city, those limitations aren't there. It's, it's not like um, the problems we had in Rio, where we had a, um, 
a government, a state government that um, had no money and a federal government that was releasing very little money. So it's the money's here, but it's not in not good for our reputation and it'll come back to bite us with the people of Tokyo potentially later if we allow waste. Rio, as they got closer to the games, dealt with their budget situation by cutting services, cutting costs, uh, perhaps lowering the quality of some of the services, the number, amount of services available. Would Will Tokyo face the same fate? Is is or, or, or can they get things under control so that they deliver what everybody expects? No, I don't think Tokyo is going to be cutting in those areas. The, the messages we're giving them now are in terms of procure, procurement for security. Um, if they get out and um, if they start the process now, then four years out, they're better able to negotiate on um, items of security. If you, and procurement generally, the longer you leave it, then the scarcity of labour, the scarcity of materials becomes more relevant. Um, so there's a whole range of areas whereby moving earlier, uh, you can take a lot of savings out. There is one staggering amount of money in there for um, what they call rental. And so the this is, um, $1.4 billion is sitting there at the moment for the cost of renting space, um, maybe even for the Tokyo municipal government. Um, uh, so it's a notional just moving money around um, for the bus transport depot, those sorts of things. Um, the uh, rental to some of the private um, stadia owners um, whereas we understood that, for example, with Budoka Khan, that um, had the judo, that when we agreed to take karate there as well, uh, the owners of that venue, the managers of that venue, would contribute for the upgrades and things like that. So um, that's a staggering amount of money. Surely you can find a bit of land to put some buses on and run a depot, um, and etc., etc. So. They're the things we want to make sure there isn't waste on. We want to make sure that um, we're not supervising just the recirculation of money, uh, say, from the Tokyo Municipal Government to the organising committee and then it paying money back to the Tokyo Municipal Government. Um, uh, that doesn't help anyone. The, uh, the Olympic program for 2020 is going to be the biggest ever, I think, with 33 medal sports. What kind of complexity does this add to the situation as far as costs and organization? Well, again, those matters, the business case models were considered for each of the sports at the time uh, Tokyo proposed, before Tokyo proposed them. The, there's a meeting taking place as we speak about um, the urban cluster, which is on some um, disused land downtown unused land uh, where we would have um, basically an amphitheatre developed temporary seating and we'd have the sport climbing and the skateboarding. Um, the, uh, it's going to be proximate to the village so that's not an issue in transport. Um, the surfing out at Sheba um, is an hour and a half away. 
uh, we will work with them and the Federation will work with them to um, uh, get a bit of a carnival atmosphere going out there with the surf to the surf. Um, we're only talking about 20 male and 20 female athletes. The, um, the facilities um, by the sea for them aren't, the requirements are not great. Um, the, uh, the baseball and the softball are existing venues. Um, and as I said, the karate is um, going to go to uh, an existing venue. So far as the additional accommodation, I think we've got 474 additional athletes, half again officials. The village that's been constructed here um, on reclaimed harbour land uh, will have massive excess capacity because that's part of what they've been able to offer the developer. So there are 20 to 40 storey buildings going up um, in this um, under a master plan there, but uh, it'll only be the top 15 or 16 storeys or levels that will be required. So um, to accommodate the additional athletes, it was just a matter of um, using up another floor of an existing building. Um, we're in discussion also about um, um, taking a baseball game and a softball game involving Japan to Fukushima. That's something that um, President Bark spoke to Prime Minister Abe about when he was here. Uh, we're very keen to do that as part of the reconstruction effort. And, um, uh, but that, again, would be using an existing venue. Um, so uh, the new sports um, are not going to... Um, they should wash themselves in terms of when you look at the ticket sales. The uh, press attention is pretty intense in Tokyo, really... Dozens and dozens of reporters at the uh, events around the uh, the coordination commission, the uh, debrief, and all. Is, is that helpful? Do you uh, find the level of intention more intense than you've seen it in past Olympics? I've always loved it when you give me attention, Ed. But um, <laughs> it's a bit different here. The um, you might recall that when um, President Barr came here to meet for the first time, the governor. Um, she announced um, in front of the 120 media who were there that this meeting will be open and we had understood that the political working group meeting would be open to the media while the technical committee presented its report. Then we'd go into um, private discussion. Then we'd do the conclusion, conclusions with the media again Again, about an hour before the meeting, the governor asked if we could um, have the whole of the meeting open, and of course we agreed, uh, such as the nature of the transparent IOC, of which I'm a vice president. Um, but uh, it was an interesting experience, and there wasn't just dozens, Ed. There were 200 media in the room for the whole of the discussion, and that was a discussion where uh, no-one held back. Um, there was... Uh, Difference, considerably different opinions uh, over Ariaki and Yokohama expressed between the Tokyo 2020 uh, organising committee and the TMG. Um, I led, chaired the meeting, um, but I, no one held back, and I, I, it was a very interesting exercise. And um, I'm pleased we did it that way. I think um, this governor has been appointed on a um, basis of uh, a transparency, you know, wastage, all of those things, and. Um, uh, that's not a bad thing for these games. 
John Coates, Chairman of the IOC Coordination Commission for Tokyo 2020 and IOC Vice President, thanks for being with us today on ATR Radio. This is Around the Rings editor, Ed Hula. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Around the Rings Radio. Good day.